guys, welcome back to Maury's Music. My name's Maury Ruch. And I'm Spoon Phillips. And we have a lot to talk about. Today's subject is the Martin CEO series, and a big shout out to Rosalyn, who gave us the idea. We're going to do this show just for you and anybody else who's listening. You can thank Rosalyn when you see her. That's great. Thanks a lot, Rosalyn. I think it's a fabulous idea. How you doing today, Spoon? I'm doing very good. I feel like a CEO. Which one? Um, oh, I don't know. They all seem to, you know, have such nice offices. I would uh, just, you know, imagine myself sitting in a nice office chair with a nice view out the window discussing guitars that were designed by Martin's now retired CEO, Christian Frederick Martin IV. Oh, I meant which CEO guitar? Oh, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe we should ask our listeners which one they prefer once we get through all of these very interesting and unique instruments. So let's get started, dive right in. Spoon, I have a lot to ask you about these CEO guitars. Back when Mari's music started in 2003, the program was well underway, so I'm not really connected to the very beginning back when the CEO 1 was brought to market. Can you tell me a little bit about uh, the early models? Yeah, I'd like to do that. Um, I won't spend a lot of time with the very earliest CEO models since they were made quite a while ago and really unavailable. They, they almost never come up on the market. But um, first of all, I'd like to point out that Chris Martin had designed some other stuff for Martin. He is responsible for the original jumbo design that took the M top, the, the triple, I'm sorry, quadruple lot top, the 16-inch wide top, and combined it with dreadnought side depth to make Martin's first jumbo. But then he wanted to put his hand in to the design department to come up with some very particular interesting ideas. And the CEO 1 and the CEO 2 and the CEO 3 are sort of connected together. So I'll talk about the one and two and three together. And then we're going to talk about CO4, five and six together. And then we'll talk about the seven, eight and nine together, which is sort of the, the modern era uh, CEOs. There is still speculation as to will there be a CEO 10 as kind of the last hurrah, but, but only uh, Chris Martin knows that for sure. So CEO one, the CEO one, and the CEO-1R came out in 1997. The CEO-1 and CEO-1R are traditional 14-fret Martin Dreadnought. It's got that size, and um, they shared the same cosmetics. And one, the R, of course, had Indian rosewood back and sides, and the CEO-1, without the R, had solid mahogany back and sides. So this was a, a Sitka spruce, Mahogany Dreadnought, uh, the mahogany used maple stain, so it's a lighter stain, so it uh, shows up the wood grain more. And they, like I said, both had Sitka spruce tops. I honestly don't remember if they had aging toner on them uh, like they were using in the vintage series, but they think they did because I know Chris really always liked that look. Both of them had scalloped uh, hybrid A-frame bracing and the M&T neck joint. They had a solid mahogany low oval neck that had a one and three quarter inch, I'm sorry, one 11 16th inch width. 
And so both of those were new to Martin. The M&T neck joint, uh, which I've mentioned in, uh, to you before in various uh, programs, was developed and supposedly invented by Michael Gurian, who was a luthier. He's still alive, but he got out of making guitar business when his factory burned down, unfortunately. But um, so the uh, M&T neck joint was new to Martin. They had just started putting it on the 16 series, and they were putting it on these new CEO uh, models because the CEO series was about exploring new ideas. And so the low oval shape was also new. Um, it's different than the modified low oval shape, so they're not the exact same shape. Both of them had herringbone top trim, which was unusual at the time, uh, particularly at that time for Martin to put herringbone on a mahogany guitar. And they both had what they call hollow hexagon fingerboard uh, markers, and you know, fret markers on the fingerboard. And those are like the hexagons, but they're made with a very thin line of abalone. So it has a, a, a wood center. And so it's the same wood as the fretboard. They also had those two hollow hexagons on the bridge, on each side of the bridge, which is pretty cool. And uh, they had a style 45 rosette and a style 45 backstrip. Again, an unusual thing to combine herringbone with an abalone uh, Rosette at that time, and it had Chris uh, Martin's signature at the 19th fret in abalone. They had black binding, including the rosewood model, with white purfling inlaid around the edge on the back that Chris always liked, and that actually came from the N20 guitar. And here is a trivia question. Who is the most famous player of a Martin N20? I don't know if you have your drum roll ready. <laughs> the most famous N20 is Trigger that is owned and played by Willie Nelson. So that nylon string guitar, the the way the binding has perfling around the edge of the back, Chris Martin added that to the CEO. So really interesting at a relatively conservative time for the Martin guitar company. Uh, they had gold tuning machines with ebony bu buttons, and they came with a very fancy tweed case that was later has been used for different things. So this was a way for Chris Martin to introduce the new neck joint and the new neck shape on a really interesting fancy limited edition in your choice of mahogany or rosewood. Now I'm going to jump right to the CEO2 that came out the next year. The CEO2 was the same body shape, same construction, same neck, same bracing, et cetera, et cetera, same cosmetics. So it had the same like hexagons and the, and the abalone mixed with, with the herringbone and so forth. But the back and sides are made with absolutely stunning wild figured grain of Macassar ebony. Oh, wow or Macassar ebony, rather, is what they mean, is how people say it typically, Macassar ebony. But it was a laminated, and it was a special laminate um, with this beautiful veneer on the outside that was purchased from the Steinway Piano Company. So it was this uh, wood that was being used to make ridiculously expensive Steinway pianos here in New York City, but it was pieces of wood that had, you know, were basically looked gorgeous, but were too small 
to use that was kind of like, you know, I would hate to call it scrap because it looks so great. So <laughs> they made, uh, a, I should also point out, the first two editions they made, I know they made at least 100, but I think they were really like 120 or something, 122 on those uh, CEO1s. The CEO2, I don't have a memory of how many they made, but it was probably along the same uh, number, somewhere around 100 units. And uh, the fingerboard and bridge on the CEO2 is also Macassar Ebony. Uh, solid Macassar ebony, which uh, a lot of people call striped ebony. And um, it almost looks like a rosewood, a dusty uh, grayish brown rosewood. And the other interesting thing for me is that the uh, hexagons, outline of abalone in the hexagons is a little fatter than you got on the CEO one. So I think that was maybe a revision when they looked at it and decided to go with a slightly more abalone on the fretboard and on the bridge. And this was an introduction of a couple of things. It was an introduction to the idea of using veneers with gorgeous, with a gorgeous applique on the very outside. And that fine veneer idea, of course, uh, was then used on the budding road series and is now used on the road series today. And of course, on those very cool SC models, uh, similar idea. So, and then it was also introducing into Martin Macassar Ebony. And this Macassar Ebony is from Indonesia and plantations in Indonesia and other and grows in some other areas in uh, Southeast Asia. And Martin started to use Macassar Ebony for fretboards and bridges in what we now call the standard series around this same time. So it was introducing it on a CEO model on a new, you know, forward looking uh, design. And um, my my two, year 2000 D28 had uh, the striped ebony. And then they started, they started dyeing the ebony black. And they did that for a few years. But you might remember, then they ran into some trouble when there were certain batches of the dye that I believe had been changed by the manufacturer without warning Martin. And and they actually started to bleed a little bit into the tops. So they got rid of that and they don't they don't dye ebony anymore. And they don't and they went back to using African ebony. So you rarely uh, rarely will you see uh, yeah, the Indonesian Macassar ebony on uh, Martin guitars today, but in, in terms of the bridge and fretboard. And then we'll go to the CEO three. Again, 14 fret dreadnought with the traditional Martin dreadnought, which of course is their, you know, flagship body size. And the CEO3 had the similar styling, similar construction, but this was made with laminated Brazilian rosewood back and sides. I don't remember if it was the prototype, like one of the final design prototypes, or it was the actual NAM show examples. They used to do two uh, final prototypes. One would go to the show and one would stay at the factory and typically end up in Chris's private collection. But the the one I remember seeing had this three-dimensional ripple in the Brazilian rosewood. And it reminded me very much of the uh, Brazilian that was being used on the OM45V in the Vintage Series and the D45V. Just really gorgeous stuff. But in this case, it was a fine veneer laid over laminated Brazilian rosewood. And when I say laminated, it wasn't like you get with cheap guitars 
at big box stores, it wasn't like boxwood with a nice veneer over it. It was a 100% Brazilian rosewood veneer. The other cool thing was the CO3 is a gold top. The 1999 CO3 is a gold top. And by that, I mean, it looks like a 1950s Les Paul gold top. So that's pretty cool. And they made, I know they made exactly 150 because they only had this, you know, the sets of the fine veneer that was 150 for that. So that's, that's the beginning of the CEO, CEO series where Chris is a came up with the design that matched the herringbone with the style 45 rosette and backstrip. And, and he came up with those, those hexagons, the uh, hollow hexagons that were also later used on the original Aura models. A lot of people remember the original Aura models that have those hexagons. I was going to ask you that, like the DC Aura, is that what you're talking about? Yeah, DC Aura and the OMC Aura uh, yeah. had those hollow hexagons as well. And they may have been slightly different, but the initial concept was thought up by Chris Martin for the CEO 1 um, and then was used on the CEO 2 and the CEO 3. I think I got it, but just in case... Tell me the whole thing again. I wasn't listening. <laughs> well, in 1833, a man named... <laughs> uh, okay. When a, when a man and a guitar love each other very much. <laughs> so, so, um, so now we go on to the CEO 4. And this is, a, this is a major watershed for Martin Guitar. The CEO for, and there's, you might as well just say it, is Chris Martin designing and putting out a Gibson J45. And, and this was done for a couple of reasons. The official reason was Chris Martin really admired the pre-war Gibsons. He liked the designs. He admired that whole time period where all of these guitar makers were very quickly evolving the American guitar into the modern flat top steel string guitar on a very short period of time. But at the same time, this was in an era where the infamous CEO of Gibson was starting to sue people for putting out things that looked like his company's guitars. And the big, the big famous lawsuit was him suing Paul Reed Smith for like the shape of a pick guard or something like that. And Chris Martin was saying, hmm, well, let's see. Let's look at your flat top guitars <laughs> and let's look at your 14 fret guitar. When Martin in, invented the 14 fret steel guitar, Martin invented the X bracing pattern that his that Gibson's were using, everybody else was using. Of course, Martin, the old Mr. Martins, they didn't patent it because like a lot of uh, European gentlemen, they felt like these designs, you know, were already making them a comfortable living, that other people should take advantage of them and use them too. So it wasn't like they were in any way miffed that other companies were using their designs. So Chris Martin makes what is essentially what looks like a J45. It's a mahogany, solid mahogany back in size, 14 fret slope shoulder dreadnought, which is what the jumbo size uh, that Gibson came up with in the 1930s looks like. Of course, that was directly inspired by Martin's original 12-fret dreadnought design that was invented in 1915, 1916, uh, depending on who uh, who you believe. 
And so Chris Martin makes this beautiful Gibson-looking slope-shouldered dreadnought. It doesn't sound like a J-45. It sounds like a Martin. And that's because of because of how Martins make guitars. But it has this wonderful sun uh, sunburst on it. And I, I know just the other day I was thinking about this, remembering the name of the sunburst, what they called it originally. But it's jet black up on the shoulders of the upper bout, jet black, jet black down around the edge of the bottom bout. And then the center area has a shape that looks, in my mind, looks exactly like a guitar pick, like a big guitar pick that comes up and it is this, this sort of uh, blood orange, red orange to the flame of the sunburst of the... Oh, yeah, like a teardrop. Yeah, it's like a teardrop. And I always thought it looked like a, a big guitar pick. And <laughs> and it looks, uh, it, I thought it just looked awesome. And um, I'm trying to think what, off the top of my head, the CA4, because the, there are so many of those... Uh, specs that are Gibson-esque. I'm pretty sure it had like white buttons on the tuning machines. And, uh, and you know, and it actually, I think everybody was like, oh, this is, you know, just copying Gibson. But then people would play it and realize actually it didn't sound very much. Um, it, it had mahogany punch. It had an Adirondack spruce top that really helped punch the uh, mahogany out, if I remember correctly. Was it short scale? Uh, no, it wasn't. It was long scale there again, mm -hmm. very Martin-esque. Uh, in that respect. I should also mention to our listeners, a lot of this is coming off the cuff and, and based on my memory. So if you own one of these guitars and I get, I accidentally say it had black binding and maybe it actually had dark tortoise or something, feel free to post that in the comments and say, actually the uh, CEO blank had blank, moron. <laughs> More on this in a moment. <laughs> <laughs> I'll steal that. Um, <laughs> and extra credit to anybody out there listening. If you can find a clip of Bugs Bunny calling Spoon a maroon. What a maroon. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So, very first 14 fret slope shoulder Martin design. That's now called the DSS body shape. First introduction of the DSS body shape, oh. CEO 4. And it does pay, you know, tribute to classic Gibson design, but also uh, tweaks Henry's uh, Henriette Martin's nose a little bit about him suing people for you know borrowing other people's designs and uh, Henriette Gibson, Henriette Gibson, and not Henry Gibson from the old show Laughing. By the way, I can never I always mess up his last name, <laughs> so I'm not even going to uh, attempt it. But um, that's but, before uh, my time. But I'll, I'll go along with the joke anyway. Yeah, as Chris Martin told me, uh, uh, told me you know. Don't poke Henry, but then a couple of years later, there he was poking Henry. And we'll get into the real poking Henry uh, as we're coming up to the later Gibbs and the later CEO models. I think I know what you mean, but I'll, I'll wait. Yep. <laughs> okay. So, um, so that's the CEO 4. Very cool instrument. Uh, the CEO 4, I think they made 400 of them, not including uh, prototypes. So, yes, other uh, Gibson y uh, things. It had uh, no backstrip which was unusual at Martin at that time. I think uh, only Style 21 had no backstrip in this. And the CEO 4 was, I think, we're up to 2002, yes? So they didn't come out every year. 
but they were all of them were, I believe, only available for one year. I know the CEO one, two, three were only available at that one NAM show. And it was the kind of thing of if you ordered it within that year, you could get it. So you're going to see stamps from the next year, but it's really when it was ordered, I believe. Um, and I think you could order it up to, you know, probably December 31st and they would honor the order. Um, CEO four, they made about 400 of them. I think it also got the uh, gold tuning machines and, uh, and a tweed case like the previous three. But first slope shoulder DA, DSS model, even though they didn't call it DSS at that time. Hmm. Now, there were two CEO fours. The CEO four R was solid rosewood back and sides. Uh, otherwise, it was all the same, except the sunburst was different. The sunburst was a more brown looking or earthy brown looking sunburst. It didn't have that bright orange that you had on the on the mahogany. At least that's what I remember. And it got a different case. It got a really nice looking faux brown leather case, like almost, you know, like a milk chocolate, you know, like a chocolate bar brown. Uh, case that looked really nice. So that's the three and we've been three, four. So we've crossed into four, which was two, 2002. And then we come into the CEO five and I don't remember what year it was. I don't remember if it was, I think there was a little bit of a break before the CEO five, but the CEO five breaks the mold uh, in a couple of ways because it is not a Gibson copy. CEO 5 is the first traditional 12 fret dreadnought CEO model. And what's unique about this is it was the introduction of African Sapelli at CF Martin and Company in a big public way. Uh, I'm not sure when they were starting to introduce this into uh, some of the models around this time, but the CEO 5 was the limited edition with solid Sapelli back and sides and really beautiful straight copper banding that uh, reflected light, you know, gorgeously. Uh, again, you know, a lot of being limited editions, uh, they really uh, went for good wood, uh, good looking wood with these guitars. So slotted headstock had a herringbone rosette and a herringbone around the top, which was unusual uh, for Martin. And I'm pretty sure it's the bold herringbone. It had, pretty sure it had aging toner or what they called vintage toner maybe back then on the top. And uh, I remember being impressed with this a guitar. I'm, it had a, uh, the neck wasn't the full one and seven eighths inch. So it was probably the one and 13 16th inch. But I remember playing it side by side with a D18V in New York City at the now defunct Mandolin Brothers and doing an in-depth review about them. And that my review was one of the things that really uh, started getting me noticed in the broader guitar world. And unfortunately, uh, not always for uh, the best reason. This was the guitar where I was trying to explain the tonal difference in a way that I could say that Sipelli didn't have the same throaty bass warmth that the South American mahogany did. It was a brighter and crisper. And, and so I said, okay, well, look at it. If you looked at these tone woods as if they were bred, you have rosewood that's kind of that dark, 
rich pumpernickel and then mahogany would be like whole wheat and then Sibeli would be like toasted whole wheat. Ah. And then I later on in the review was referring to the undertone and I was taught and that's really where that difference is heard down in that body resonance. And I mentioned the phrase referring to those toasted wheat underpinnings. And so that's where that came from. And that's where that came from. And people have been ribbing me about that for years. It even showed up in a, uh, it's published in a book where, where an author is talking about just <laughs> how, uh, how far people will go in the guitar geekdom. That would have been the best podcast name, by the way. That's a no. <laughs> I'm going to give that a no. So CEO five, really uh, beautiful looking guitar. So keep your eyes out for it. They show up once in a while and uh, comfortable, you know, for a, for a 12 for a guitar, comfortable neck, the whole bit. So the CEO six takes us back to the Gibson J 45 look with the J with that same sort of sunburst as the CEO four, but it's a Rosewood. So it's the Rosewood back and sides, ebony fretboard and bridge, sit top. They also made the CEO six black, uh, which cost less. And it was, uh, as you might guess, all black. So similar to the Johnny Cash model. And the other main difference is that the CEO six had the new Aura F1 technology with the knobs in the side and all the fancy uh, computer stuff inside it. But the CEO six black did not. It had the knobs, but they were just limited to volume and tone control. So it had the, uh, the basic Fishman setup, while the CEO 6 with the uh, Sunburst had the fancier Aura technology. And like every CEO model we've talked about, one through six and six black, all of these were made with the mortise and tenon neck joint and the hybrid A-frame X bracing, as they would call it today, scallop bracing. And that then brings us up to the CEO 7 and maybe the seventh inning stretch. <laughs> so while I am taking my seventh inning stretch, I'm going to ask Mari Rich. <laughs> Say the man is quick. Do you think there's a sound I don't have, really? So as the <laughs> organ uh, stops, I'm going to ask Mari, what? <laughs> okay, what is the most popular CEO model of all time in your estimation? Well, by far, without a doubt, it is the CEO 7. And boy, am I glad you didn't ask me that back when we were talking about the 1 or the 2 or the 3 or the 4. The CEO 7 just it took over the world I, i'm so impressed by how popular that guitar was right out of the gate and like i was saying earlier in the program we were already a dealer in 2003 or i should say when we became a dealer in 2003 this program already started so we missed the first couple of versions of this guitar so i didn't necessarily come up as a dealer knowing what the one was like the two was like in sales but by the time the seven came around I just remember so many people saying to me that the combination of the Adirondack top and this price point and the the uniqueness of the guitar being the double OL in mahogany with an Adirondack top and being short scale, having a V neck, it seemed to check a lot of boxes for people. 
who, you know, maybe admittingly we're going to look at a triple O eighteen if they wanted a short scale mahogany guitar, but they saw the Adirondack as a great upgrade. You know, any real specific reason besides that that somebody could pick apart if they wanted a V neck guitar, but the standard series is full of the modern neck and you don't get the V. I think a lot of people just gravitated to it, and it's ironic. We've we're going to go past the CEO seven and talk about the other models, and the CEO seven just won't go away. That's correct. That is correct. And, and uh, for lots of good reasons, as you, as you mentioned. The CEO 7 was not intended to stay around. Like everything else, it was going to be a limited edition. But you said took the world by storm. And Chris Martin, who always had the final say in everything, said, no, let's keep it out there and, until it stops selling, which it hasn't done. Um, CEO 7, where the CEO 4 was Chris Martin making a Gibson J45. The CO7 is Chris Martin making an L00. And I can tell you right now, it wasn't just people looking for things in the Martin line, people looking for guitars about that size from many other makes ended up buying a CO7 because it's such an impressive instrument. Uh, that again, similar to CO5, my review of the CO7 that uh, appeared in ToneQuest report, that uh, learned journal, if I say so myself, um, also helped uh, get me known uh, in broader and broader circles. And I was so impressed when I showed up at the Martin factory to play an early example of that guitar. And then uh, when I played the uh, the, the day of the NAMM show, and I went back and played the, the model that was at the factory. I think I said something like, this is a vintage Martin from an alternate timeline. It has, you talk about the V-neck, it's not just a V-neck, it's a V-neck with the 1930s heel. So it's the same neck that was on the 0018 golden era and uh, the uh, 0042 golden era. Oh. And, and one of my uh, customs and uh, custom model that was based on the 0018 golden era. And so it's got uh, two and five sixteenth inch string spacing with a one and three quarter inch neck, but a traditional fretboard. It's not the, it's not the high performance taper. So it's a full two and a quarter inch at the eighth fret. I mean, at the 12th fret. It's got its own beautiful, that kind of sudburst with that sort of pick guard, what I call the guitar pick center to that sunburst. It's called Autumn Sunset, this particular model. And that it's a particular color scheme that's redder than orange. And um, really uh, terrific guitar, like you've, you've said. A quarter inch GE scallop bracing Adirondack uh, under Adirondack spruce, mahogany back and sides, and uh, wonderful price point. Um, this, in terms of uh, introducing things other than the new body size that's inspired by Gibson's L00, and it's a size L at Gibson. The, the double O's refer to the cosmetic trim. The L refers to the size. So Martin's double OL, which it technically stands for long because it's, an ex it's a long double O, the body size is actually larger than a double O. It's probably closer to a triple O in terms of the cubic inches inside the sound chamber. So it's a beefier short scale double O with a nice 
nice round low mids to it that's unique from anything that Martin makes uh, that that particular body size so highly successful in terms of introducing new things this the CEO seven the back and sides are made of African Sipo and Sipo is in the mahogany family personally I think it sounds more like genuine mahogany than Sapelli they're all close um, the, the soundboard is going to have more to do with a lot of the uh, the character of the guitar than what species of mahogany are used for the back and sides. But Sipo to me is warmer and bassier and has a nice growl to it when you get into it. And in some respects, I've never seen anybody do tests, but I would say it might even be bassier than what they now call genuine mahogany, American mahogany, South American mahogany. But anyway, fantastic guitar. No uh, question about it. You said all these things that that uh, that that V-neck can't get it anymore unless you want to get that model. But that just that overall combination, terrific instrument, uh, well loved. So much so that they it's you know they're going to keep it in the line until uh, until people don't want to buy it anymore. So good luck with that. I wouldn't be surprised if the CEO 70 comes out and they're still selling the CEO 7. <laughs> I agree. I agree. Tremendous, tremendous value for a really successful instrument. And uh, sounds better in, out in front. A lot of like OMs do too. But when I play one, it doesn't, uh, doesn't seem like it's got the kind of definition because of a, that extra warmth and that big egg of of meat in the low mids but when you're sitting in front of it mm -hmm. and you're the listener boy is it just uh it just sounds uh, it's a wonderful sounding guitar and it's not a very long story by any stretch but it was funny at that time that martin debuted this guitar and i can't remember if you were with me in the room or you might have been back in the sound room when i was talking to tim and he was describing this to me and it was the first time i was seeing it as well and he said you know it's like a gibson l o and i said does it sound like a gibson god no and two or three people behind him like all took turns laughing like like a car commercial or something i was like well i i, I don't know he's like no it sounds like a martin but it was so funny, his immediate reaction was, why would we do that? We just want it to look like one. Well, what, what I said to at the time, I said it was, it's like a golden era series guitar of a vintage Martin that had never existed, that existed in some, you know, uh, you know sci-fi sci alternate timeline. Oh, yeah. Because they never used that button. They never used that body size. They never used the, the slope shoulder of idea of their 12 frets on a 14 fret guitar. When Gibson started doing this, they originally went to 13 frets from 12 fret to 13 frets. And those old Nick Lucas specials, some of those are uh, 12 fret and some of those are 13 fret guitars. And even some of their bigger bodies were 13 fret guitars. And it wasn't until Martin uh, changed to 14 frets in 1929 that uh, Gibson jumped on that bandwagon. So again, here is uh, Gibson borrowing from Martin and Martin borrowing from Gibson, both of them on their own journey, making their own sound. But we haven't even gotten to the real reason the CEO 7 was so much more popular than the other CEOs. It's the first CEO model made with the traditional hand-carved, hand-fitted, hand-glued dovetail neck joint with that big, wide dovetail-shaped Tenon going into that big wide V shape mortise in the solid mahogany block that just adds 
so much in terms of richness that um, it's quite noticeable to me every time I play uh, an M and T Martin. They have their own sound. Some of them are absolutely lovely. The Sean Colvin signature model, great example. But the dovetail just gives you uh, more oomph in the guitar. And that's to me is the secret of why the CO7 really made a huge leap forward from the other CEO models, in my opinion. Do you have any inside information, Spoon, about why they decided to go dovetail? I do not, other than I was so impressed uh, that they did. And frankly, to my mind, it was about time. But I think also by this time, Martin realized that their traditional fans could hear the difference and that the M&T neck joint was giving the Martins, were made with that, a more modern sound. And younger people were buying them. And people that were used to playing other brands like Taylor, and who, Taylor was getting very popular at that time. And by accident or not, the M&T Martins have a popular, you know, and I don't mean pop as in pop music, I mean it pops, those notes, those top notes really pop out and they're very vibrant. They have a lot of vibrancy to it that the regular Dovetail Martins don't. The Dovetail Martins, the voice sits down in that body resonance more and it's just a different kind of sound. Mm. So I think um, the real answer is I know how they do this stuff. They go through lots of experimentation, a lot of prototypes. Everybody raised their hand in the room, I'm sure, saying that one sounds better. And they sometimes would do this blind and the people were, wouldn't know what was different about it. So they, uh, the one with the, the real dovetail over the M&T with the A-frame bracing uh, clearly won. Let's pause for a moment for a sound sample. Here's the CEO 7. Now we come to Chris Martin really poking Henry with the CEO eight. This was indeed, this was Chris Martin's uh, version of the Gibson Super Jumbo 200, their flagship, their D45, which is a big blonde maple jumbo, what they call a super jumbo. And the CEO eight had Martin's grand jumbo body size, 17 inch wide, so wide it needs special bracing and has a non-scallop X brace, then it has uh, gradually scalloped tone bars, meaning that there's scalloping on the treble side primarily, and for that to support that big wide top. And it had its own special sunburst, I think they called it cherry burst, um, but it also had it on the back mahogany back and sides with sunburst on the back and the sides. Really beautiful. Pretty sure that's the first time Martin did that on a model that they were putting out. 
It had a DTAR multi-source pickup system. It had a modified low oval that had been around for a while, one and three quarter inch, but it had the performing artist taper that's now called the high performance taper. So it's only two and an eighth at the 12th fret. So it's that modern neck on a CEO, a big CEO, and those pearl block, sliced block fret markers, really gorgeous vintage gold tuners, really gorgeous. And the CEO 8.2 does not have the traditional dovetail neck joint. So the CEO 7 had the traditional dovetail neck joint, CEO 8 traditional dovetail neck joint, CEO 8.2, which came out later, was the first CEO with the new simple dovetail neck joint. But what's really cool about this guitar is it's a FSC certified grand jumbo. So the Forest Stewardship Council that helps protect uh, forests all around the world to ensure that they're managed responsibly and both in terms of the wood being harvested and the indigenous populations living in the forests, etc. So you have FSC certified mahogany back and sides, FSC certified European spruce top with vintage tone system. Pretty sure this is the first time European BTS showed up and it had its own bourbon sunset burst finish. So very cool. This one had those uh, skeleton key tuners on them and just uh, really, really attractive, cool guitar, environmentally friendly. Also, it came with a really unusual aluminum case that had special locks uh, on it and stuff. So oh, yeah. really the beginning of Tim Teal and Chris Martin starting to look into those more futuristic features. Also, liquid metal bridge pins appeared on this model as well. So, so some really, really interesting, cool things on this rather unusual CEO. A lot of people remember the CEO 8 because it was the, here's Martin doing Gibson and putting, instead of putting the Gibson, putting the Martin up on the headstock. <laughs> um, that poked Henry a little too much, so they took it off. They put it on the prototypes, on the NAM models, made it on a few models that are now collector's items, and then got rid of it and replaced it with a more normal looking Martin headstock logo setup. So very cool guitars, the CEO 8s big jumbos. And then we come up to the CEO 9, which is based on the CEO 7. It is another 00L body size, same setup, except it's made with that really unusual curly mango wood for the back sides and top. So here's Chris coming out with what's relatively speaking, an environmentally friendly, plentiful wood, but really beautiful grain and has a top that doesn't sound as dense as a hardwood top like mahogany or walnut or koa. So sounded really good right out of the box and uh, still interesting, still warm, still great sustain like a solid wood, uh, hardwood top gives you good for slide playing. But um, unique and quite uh, and quite beautiful. And I know you had uh, some CEO 9s, but I guess those are all long gone now, yes? I think we only have a lefty in stock, but it, it's making me want to 
be a switch hitter because it really is a nice guitar. And uh, I'm sure you know the story, but it was kind of cute when I asked him back when that guitar was was announced, you know, what what's up with the mango? He said, well, Chris went on vacation to Hawaii and came back and called me and said, hey, can we make a guitar out of this? And I uh, said, uh, yeah, <laughs> I guess maybe it's his vacation guitar. <laughs> maybe so, maybe so. I never heard that story, but he has always loved beautiful wood. And uh, if you remember going back to the beginning of this discussion, I was talking about how the from the get-go, they featured really, really good-looking back and side wood on all these uh, instruments. So, And this put it on the top. So very cool. Uh, that's the CEO. Again, one, two, three, traditional dreadnought size, 14 fret dreadnoughts, all with the exact same sort of rosette, hexagon look, black binding, but two and three ha experimenting with uh, really beautiful veneers in the Macassar ebony and uh, Brazilian rosewood. And that Brazilian rosewood gets the Gibson-esque gold top. Then we move into the true, let's experiment with Gibson look with the CEO four, a uh, CEO five takes us to the takes to the first twelve fret slot head dreadnought introducing Sapelli into Martin guitars and this gorgeous uh, show showpiece Martin six back to looking like the Gibson J forty five with a black version but these have rosewood back and sides and then we get up to the super home run grand slam CEO seven. First one with the full dovetail, mahogany, Adirondack, uh, GE bracing, gold mirror style neck, just an amazing uh, vintage vibe guitar. And uh, eight gives us that that really uh, non-Martin looking, you know, looks like, except you go back to Martin jazzy arch tops, really jazzy looking, big, big guitar. The, uh, 8.2 had its own browner top to it, but uh, really gorgeous guitars. And then the CEO9, super cool, unusual curly mango at CF Martin and Company. So uh, congratulations to Chris Martin for all these guitars and in, throughout his uh, career. Well, Spoon, you know what the music means. We're out of CEOs and we're out of time. I want to thank everybody for listening. And if you've had a good time during this podcast, please consider sharing it with your friends. Once again, thank you, Roslyn, for the good suggestion. The CEO series was your idea, and we had a good time talking about it. From all of us at Mari's Music, thanks for listening. Hear you later. This has been a presentation of Mori's Music, your trusted source for Martin and Blue Ridge guitars. Find us online at morrysmusic.com. Music.com.